right, any guesses why we have a campfire in uh, the middle of <laughs> the worship space here? No. I <laughs> just kidding. I'd like to mess with you. Hmm, I don't see any. Oh, Jonathan. Okay, so what Jonathan is saying is maybe because our third, fourth, and fifth graders, what we call our cohort kids, they, uh, they went to Gary and Ann Moore's house. Gary and Ann, could, oh, could you raise your hands? Well, Gary's here. There's Ann. Okay. So Gary and Ann are uh, a beloved couple in our congregation. Ann is on our leadership team. And they hosted our third, fourth, and fifth graders to tell some stories at their house, and they had a campfire. Uh, yeah, that's, that's mostly it, Jonathan. I thought that was such a cool experience. And I remember as a kid that my family would tell stories around the campfire, especially when we would go camping. My dad had this crazy, my dad was a salmon biologist, kind of like my grandfather, and um, he would tell us stories, creepy stories about Salmon Man, who would come out of the woods of Washington and Oregon, and yeah, you had to stay in your tent at night, or Salmon Man might get you. So anyway, what I want to do, if you're a third, fourth, or fifth grader, one of your cohort kids here, uh, and you're comfortable doing this, I'd love to have you just come populate these steps here, kind of we're not really going to gather around the fire because I figured that floor is too, your bum is going to go to sleep if you sit on that. So why don't you try sit, sitting here if you want to. And um, I'm going to tell you a story about God's faithfulness to me one time. So I think most of you know, um, the, the, most, the things I talk about most are like Star Wars and... Um, yeah, and Lord of the Rings and stuff like that. But I also talk a little bit about the Coast Guard, because you guys knew I used to be in the Coast Guard. Um, you didn't know that? Yeah, well, when were you guys born? Four, five, six. Two thousand four, five, six. 2007, okay. So in 1999, so not too far before you were born, 1999, there was a ship that was in a major storm off the coast of Oregon, off Coos Bay. Have you ever been to Coos Bay? It's like dunes and cool stuff. It was called the New Carissa. Yeah, and it was a bulk freighter. It was a big old ugly ship that had wood chips in it. It was on its way to Japan. And it got caught in the storm, and it got caught on the beach. It was over 400 feet long. And you think, oh, wood chips aren't that dangerous. But something inside the ship was really dangerous. 400,000 gallons of thick fuel oil. Ugh. Called Bunker C. Collins knows about that. It's gross. So the big deal was that particular part of the beach was the, the breeding ground for a little tiny bird called the snowy plover. Doesn't sound like much, but the snowy plover, it was on the protected list. And so everyone was afraid that this ship was going to get broken up in the storm and release all that oil. Well, it just so happened that my team is called the strike team, and we respond to coil, oil and chemical spills in really nasty weather. And we only get called out when civilian contractors say, we don't want this job because it's too nasty. So. But my team goes up to Coos Bay, Oregon, and um, some of the best helicopter pilots in the world, if I do say so myself, are Coast Guard helicopter pilots. Because they, they have to pick people up in the nastiest weather and drop them off and all this kind of stuff. They had to put my team on this ship that was rocking on the beach, kind of, in like 40 mile, uh, mile winds and 16 foot seas bashing it. And this guy that went right before me broke his back because he th this, the basket swung and so I was super afraid before I went to that that uh, mission I was 
doing some scripture memory at my church, and I was memorizing the verse Psalm 27. Psalm 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And that was from Israel because they were worried about these other nations that had more chariots and more horses. And instead of putting their faith in these things that they had, they said, we're going to put our faith in God. And at that moment, as I'm ready, I'm in this helicopter, and they had me get in this tiny little steel basket, and then they're going to push me out over the side and lower me down. I thought even the best pilots in the world, with the best training in the world, weren't able to get the guy before me down safely. Some trust in helicopters and some trust in training, but Lord, I trust you in this moment. And I closed my eyes and just kept saying that over and over again, and before I knew it, someone was touching my shoulder and I was on the deck of that ship, light as a feather, and I got out, and for me, that moment, increased my faith in God. I really felt his comfort for me, as his peace over me, as I was really afraid uh, to do that thing. So that's one of the stories I wanted to share with you around our campfire. And the reason I wanted to share that story is because we've been talking about stories of God's faithfulness for weeks now in the Exodus. And in fact, this whole book, the Bible, is a bunch of stories of God's faithfulness put together. And before it was ever written down in this format, it was told generation to generation like this, like what we just did. And I imagine that it was probably told around a campfire. I don't think they had s'mores or anything. But it's probably told, you know, these shepherds are out wandering at night and they get together uh, at the, the cool of the night and they tell their stories. Do you need s'mores? I know you did. I know, that's awesome. And hot dogs, so that sounds, I, I can't top that at this point, yeah. But one of the most important stories in all of um, the history of Scripture and the, and the history of God's people is the Exodus. And you've been learning about the plagues, there was ten plagues that God sent to Egypt uh, to uh, convince Pharaoh to let the Israelites go. And tonight we're going to look at the tenth plague and kind of what happened uh, when they got to let go. So actually, I'm going to sit right here. We're around the campfire, <clears throat> and we'll read the story, just like we're telling the stories like we're in the ancient times. Okay, so I'm in Exodus chapter 12, verse 29. Now it came about at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the cattle. Pharaoh arose in the night, and he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was no home or no family where there was not someone dead. Then he called for Moses and Aaron at night, and he said, Rise up, get out from among my people, both you and the sons of Israel, and go worship the Lord. Literally, go serve the Lord. As you have said, take both your flocks and your herds, as you have said, and go. And by the way, bless me also. Basically, Pharaoh is saying, your God's for real. The Egyptians urged the people to send them out of the land in great haste. That means super quick. And for they said, we will all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened with their kneading bowls, and they bound them up in their clothes and put them on their shoulders. 
Now, the sons of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, for they had requested from the Egyptians articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor inside of the Egyptians so that they let them have their request. Thus, they plundered the Egyptians. So the Egyptians let them go. Actually, forced them to go. They said, get out of our land. And then they said, here, here's some gold, here's some silver, here's some fancy clothes. Get out! All right. Now the sons of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, aside from children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, along with flocks and herds, a very large number of livestock. They baked the dough which they had brought out of Egypt into cakes of unleavened bread, for it had not yet become leavened since they were driven out of Egypt and could not delay nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. Now, the time that the sons of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years, and at the end of 430 years to the very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It is a night to be observed for the Lord, for having brought them out from the land of Egypt. This night is for the Lord, to be observed by all the sons and daughters of Israel throughout all their generations. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner is to eat, it, eat of it, but every man's slave purchased with money after you've circumcised him, then he can eat of it. A sojourner or a hired servant shall not eat of it. It is to be eaten in a single house. You are not to bring forth any of the flesh outside the house, nor are you to break any bone of it. All the congregation of Israel are to celebrate this. But if a stranger sojourns with you, and celebrates the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, and then let them come near and celebrate it. So, that's kind of cool. Foreigners could celebrate the Passover, as long as they did the mark that showed that they were part of the people of God. That's kind of cool. But no uncircumcised person may eat of it. The same law shall apply to the native as to the stranger who sojourns among them. Then all the sons of Israel did so. They did just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. You don't hear that very often about the Israelites, do you? Uh, And on that same day, the Lord brought the sons of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. Lord, thank you for your story of faithfulness, of rescue, of deliverance. Help us as we uh, take a look at this story to recall your faithfulness in our own lives and to see how you continue uh, to be the God um, of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Help us as we leave here today to trust you more, trusting that because you were faithful before and have been faithful even among us, you'll continue to be faithful. Amen. Pretty amazing story. Not only is this the story of God's deliverance of Israel, uh, but it, it, it's not only told here in this chapter, but it's repeated both in later on in the book of Exodus. It's repeated the same story of God's deliverance in the Psalms, in the other parts of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and it frames how Jesus does his ministry as well. In fact, lots of scholars see in Jesus a new Exodus. So, Why do you think this story of God's rescue in in the Exodus is so important? Why is it so important that this story is told over and over again, uh, has an ordinance uh, that God commands the people to tell the story over and over again? And um, I'll take, you know, it doesn't have to just be the third to fifth graders. Any ideas why this story is so important? Emma. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So Emma said that it's because it shows that God is real and the most powerful over other gods. Great, great. Any other ideas of why, why are we telling this, this story over and over again? You know, one of the things that this story does is um, it's not like God just suddenly heard the cries of the Israelites and then decided to act. He made a promise a long time ago before they were ever in slavery that he would bless. Ah! Just say it into this microphone. Is it on? It's on. Uh, yes, it is on. Yes, it is on. <laughs> to show that he keeps his promises? That's right. That's right. It shows that he, he keeps his promises. And also, if we read ahead a little bit, Israel's going to be in some hard times. They're going to be wandering in the wilderness, homeless, really, um, at least nationless for a while. And they're going to run into some hard things, just like we all do in our lives. And st a story like this reminding can you I, i'll trust you to hold on to that uh, a story like this can really give us encouragement remembering that god is faithful and i think that's one of the main reasons he has us tell it over and over again our stories remind us who we are um, and this story has a lot to say so let's take a, let's just take a look at a few elements of this exodus story you know many times when we read or what uh, i don't want to put this on you maybe you're more intuitive than I, uh, but when I read the Exodus story, or when I have read the Exodus story, I think, here's what, what must be going on. You've got a whole group of people, these Hebrew people, who have been enslaved for hundreds of years, and I bet you they can't just, they just can't wait to get out, right? Uh, uh, maybe they're, they're waiting until no one is looking, and then they'll just flee, or something like that, but as I study it more and more, and I think just about humanity more and more, I, I don't think that that is the case, Here's what happened in, I believe, uh, chapter 5, is God sent Moses and Aaron to Pharaoh. And Moses and Aaron got the elders of Israel and said, hey, listen, Yahweh is on the move, and he's going to rescue us. And they said, all right, the elders of Israel, Moses and Aaron go up to Pharaoh, and they say, God says, let the people go. And what does Pharaoh do? Yeah, he, he says no, but he, it's almost like, I've never heard of your God before. He almost laughs in their face. And then he does something horrible to the Israelites because they were already forced to make bricks, right? Jonathan, speak into the mic. Let us know what you're thinking there. What does he do? He doesn't give them the grain. He makes them collect it. That's right. The staff. That's right. The staff. That's right. Good. Very good. So to make a brick, you have to have your, your clay, your mud, and then you put the straw in there for strengthening, kind of like we put steel in concrete now. And... Um, and he said, now you have to collect your own straw and keep the same quota. So now the people had like, if they had any free time before, they had zero now. They're just working sun up to sundown, uh, nose to the grindstone. They are not having even time to think about revolution or escape. I think one of the reasons that God sends these ten plagues is that Pharaoh actually forces them to leave. Did you catch that in the story? It's not just like he's saying, okay, you guys are free to go. He says, get out. And here's some stuff. Like, just go. Like, get, get, because we don't want any more of the plagues that are happening to our people. We want you kicked out of the land. Vamanos. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. When you think about it from the Israelites' point of view, though, they had lived 
in that land for 400 years. There was no one in any of their families who had ever lived anywhere else than Egypt. They had never tasted any other food besides Egyptian food. They had never known any other culture besides Egyptian culture surrounding them. They'd not known any other geography besides the Nile and the deserts to the east, the Mediterranean to the north. They'd never known, been able to imagine anything different than that. Now, put ourselves in their sandals for a minute. <laughs> the, kind of the, isn't it the American dream to find this elusive goal of stasis? Even though let's, we, we say we like challenges and we say we like adventure. But it, everything, our advertisement, our ethos is bent on finding some kind of peace and quiet. It's retirement with no worries about finances, and you can have free time to do whatever you want. And isn't that kind of the, that's kind of the bar that we're told is, is, the, is the point of life, right? It's this insane pursuit of stability and comfort. And my guess is that if we were ever to find this elusive uh, stability and comfort, that we would probably go insane. <laughs> because we aren't given our life from God to just cruise. We're given our life from God to work and to make a difference and to create and to add beauty and value to the world. I, uh, I know that my doctor has told me that too much stress is a bad thing. It will kill you and it will ruin other parts of your body. Um, but a little bit of stress is actually really healthy for us. Ask anyone who need, who's a procrastinator how much we need deadlines to get things done. <laughs> uh, any procrastinators up? You don't have to raise your hand. I, I know you. I know you. Yeah, I'll do it later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, procrastinators almost need a deadline to feel alive. Like, ah, it doesn't matter until it matters. Uh, two things make me feel alive. Deadlines and getting shot at. Paintball makes you feel alive. I don't know. You guys ever done Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Live fire exercises. Uh, I think part of what God is doing in sending these plagues was not only to convince Pharaoh to allow the people to go, he wanted Pharaoh to force the people to go. Because my guess is if he would have said, okay, you're free to go, there would have been the early adopters who said, I'm out of here. And then there would have been the middle adopters who would wait to kind of see like, hey, let's get some letters back from those first guys and, and see what the land is like. Oh, that sounds pretty good. Some of you were like that in this church plant, by the way. Like, there's the early adopters. Some of you kind of cruised around BCC for a while or wherever you were and said, like, oh, is this thing actually going to work? Okay, yeah, we'll come later, like a year later. And then there's the late adopters who, um, you know, still have a flip phone. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, someday you'll, I don't know what you'll do someday. <clears throat> You're a procrastinator too, Nathaniel, but... But you see, there's, you imagine how difficult it would have been to leave everything you've ever known, the place you've ever known, even if it's hard. And if you've ever been in an abusive relationship or in a, uh, a difficult job setting, it, it takes a catalytic event sometimes to, to get out of it because it's what you know and it's the rut you're in. Sometimes what we need to make a change is a God-sized motivation. 
And what a motivation this was. There they were in the darkness of night, kids sleeping and animals resting, hours from sunrise, and bam, you're awakened by the sound of a shofar, this big horn that the Israelites would blow. And uh, wake up, it's time, make haste, let's go. Think if you were asleep in your beds tonight. No, I'm not going to blow horn, don't worry. My dad used to wake me up with a bosun whistle, by the way. Yeah. Uh, and duck calls. Oh, he was crazy. Anyway, so you're asleep, um, and you're just, you're just assuming that tomorrow you're going to go to school like any other day. And all of a sudden, your mom and dad come in, and they say, get up now, there's a fire. Grab two things from your room. Let's go. What would you grab? A blanket and a Bible. Which blanket? Which blanket? My owl one. Your owl one. You like owls. Okay, why would you take those things, Zoe? Um, the Bible would make me feel good if I was down because you could read God's word. And my blanket would keep me warm. <laughs> You're awesome. Okay. Uh, okay, let's have it. Anyone else want to share what they would take? Let's have Ben. Um, I would probably take um, my favorite blanket and my most expensive possession. <laughs> yeah, which is what? Is that a Lego set? Yeah. yeah. Okay, not sure. Yeah, so, so you're going for the value move, a little comfort, a little value. Okay, I like that. That's practical. Uh, my Bible blanket count as one. Okay. So a Bible and a blankie. And Bible. Okay. All right. Elsa, would you take two stuffed animals or just, what do you think? What, what would happen there? You might. Wh which two would you take, you think? I'd probably grab a handful of stuffed animals. Just a handful? Yeah. Okay. Oh. Keely, what would you take? What do you think? If you had to take two things real quick. My kitten and my cat. Your kitten and your cat. Oh. So like real animals. Uh -huh. Yeah. Well, I don't even need to ask you why you would do that. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Fia, would, can you think of anything you would take from home? If I had a dog, I would take my dog. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Laying it on thick. Let me, let me just say this. We got a deal. We got a deal in reality here. Okay. Um, and I would take a book. Take a book. How come? Because I love to read. Okay. Okay. Great. 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 Jonathan, two things. I would take my giant moose stuffed animal and my library card so I could check out books at the library. Oh, I like that. That's like, that's like the genie that asked for three more wishes on the third wish thing. Yeah. I like the gift that keeps on giving. Well thought out, my friend. Yeah, so I'm hearing some, I'm hearing um, a lot of people are choosing one comfort item and then one kind of practical item or one thing they really like because I'm hearing a lot of like stuffies and blankets on the one hand or Bibles, books, animals, that kind of thing on the other. Cool. Does anyone remember some of the things that the Israelites had a chance? They had to go quick. What kind of things did they take? Jonathan, what was one? A cow? Yeah, they did take cattle. Sure. Bread. What kind of bread? Unleavened bread, matzah, I heard. That's right. Yeah. Ben, do you remember anything? Um, they took um, their, um, can I say they took their gold and silver? 
Yeah, gold and silver from the Egyptians. Yeah. Samantha, do you remember anything that they may have taken? A staff, that's right. Yeah, and Zoe, do you remember something that they took? Their children. Their ch well, yes, they did. All right. And with that, I think we better... Yes, they, they took their children. They did take their children. Yeah, they took their unleavened bread because they didn't have time for the leaven to, to rise. And they took their kneading bowls so they could keep making more bread. Kind of like your library card idea. I like that. Um, they took their staff and their shoes and just what they had, and they, they took off. And it seems like they hardly had enough to survive a long desert, let alone, let alone uh, they didn't know they were going to spend 40 years in the wilderness. Um, there's no way they could survive with just the things that they brought with them, which brings us to the second element of this story. God provided for them by giving them favor with the Egyptians. And what I mean by favor is like he, God made it so that as they were leaving, the Egyptians were abundantly good to them. And we know that the Egyptians, for the most part, weren't very good to them. So this was like a real miracle. I like that. That's a good take. Yeah. Um, so not only did Pharaoh let the Israelites go and make the Israelites go, but the Egyptian people gave the Israelites gold articles and silver articles and articles of clothing. You see, one way to get food in the ancient world is to raise animals and to grow your crops, and then you could eat. But if you had thousands and thousands of people in a desert environment, you're not in one place long enough to plant crops and raise all that food, and therefore you can't feed all of these animals. So the other way you can get food in the ancient world is to pay for it. Uh, what caravans of people would come and sell things, kind of like we have food trucks today where they have uh, different markets and things, and you could buy it. And so this gold and silver that they did not have in slavery was given to them so that they could then survive in the wilderness. And then there's another reason that God gave them this gold and silver, because later on as they're in the wilderness, and God really wants to bring his presence there. He asks them to build a tabernacle, which is basically like a portable church building, and it's made out of fancy seal skins. And where do you get seal skins in the desert? I bet those would be expensive in the desert. And so this money was actually, uh, that was given to them by Egypt, was used to make a worship place for them. That's called poetic justice, kids. Yeah, the message is clear that Yahweh, the God of the Israelites and creator of heaven and earth, is above all of these Egyptian gods. And through the ten plagues and through the rescue of his people, he's shown himself to be compassionate and powerful and on the side of the powerless. God is the God of life and he will do whatever it takes to make sure that his plan for life succeeds. And so the, remember we've said over and over again that the reason he was so hard on the Egyptians is because they were putting a roadblock into the plan of life. God had said, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. I want to bless you, people of Israel, so that you'll be a blessing to the world. And he, the Pharaoh, remember he was trying to kill the Egypt, uh, Israelite firstborn so that they couldn't multiply. And God says, sorry, no one thwarts my plan for life. After Israel left Egypt and took the gold and silver and the fancy clothes, it would be easy for them to brag about it, right? Because it, Egypt had been so bad to them, you guys, and um, it's, it would have been easy for them to write songs and, uh, about how um, uh, Egypt got theirs, and uh, there actually is a couple songs like that in the Psalms, but uh, uh, it, it, part of the, the Seder, actually, I'm not sure if you guys had time to do this, but part of the Seder ceremony is to take 
four drops of wine and drop them, and those are tears over, um, yeah, over the, uh, uh, the death of the Egyptian firstborns. It's saying we're not going to gloat over this, even though you got what was coming to you. There's a reminder in the story, too, that God's love expands beyond just the Israelites. In verse 38, for example, it says a mixed multitude also went up with them, left with them. And the idea is that slaves of other races, the Hebrews weren't the only ones enslaved, slaves of other races, along with some of the Egyptians, believed that God was a superior God, and so they decided to leave. And we saw that in the plague stories, that along the way, different Egyptian officials said, we better listen to this God, even though Pharaoh was like, I'm not listening. And so this multitude that God rescued wasn't just Hebrew people. It was a mixed multitude of lots of different races, some of them even Egyptian. And that means that from the very beginning, foreigners were included into the people of God. And I don't know all of your family backgrounds, but I know me and my family, we would be foreigners into the family of God. Uh, I don't know that I have any Jewish blood in me, any Hebrew blood in me. So, um, in fact, as I look out, we're probably, most of us are foreigners into the, the people of God if we're followers of God now. These people who used to be part of Egypt were willing to leave the comforts of home and the riches, they lived in the richest nation of the world. Uh, at that time, and they were willing to leave all of that and to follow a bunch of slaves into the wilderness. The slaves didn't even know where they were going. Why would they do that? You guys, why, why do you think that these people who living high on the hog in Egypt would leave into the unknown with a bunch of Hebrew slaves? Could it be that their faith in God, what they experienced, was so attractive, that the Hebrews' faith was so attractive that it would cause people to be curious about God? Might it be that because these foreigners witnessed God's mighty deeds, that their faith in him grew to the point where they knew he was the true God? I think that one of the important reasons we need to keep telling stories to one another um, and one of the, the reasons we need to keep spending time with each other who follow God um, is to encourage one another through our stories. These kids, as I mentioned earlier, spent some time at Gary and Ann Moore's house a week ago Friday, and they heard some stories around the campfire. Um, Gary and Ann shared a little bit about how they came to became Christians, and do any of you guys know what one of the important things was for, for Gary and Ann becoming uh, a Christian? I'll have Ben share. Um, to have friends that followed the Lord, too, to help them and um, to talk with and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's one of the things that stood out to me, too, is both, both Gary and Ann and their stories, they had friends in their life who were following Jesus, and it made an impact on them. And, you know, we, we tell these stories about God and about people in the Bible that God has interacted with, and that's, that's an important part of what we do uh, as followers of Jesus. But it's important to have people in our lives that are examples, too. And I remember uh, one man in my life, his name was Pastor Bill. He was my pastor in California. And there was something about Bill, like if you just met him, you would think, what kind of a normal-looking guy? Um, that's being kind. And uh, he's about my dad's age, and there's nothing, you know, he's not particularly tall and imposing, and he wasn't particularly eloquent. But there was something about that man uh, and, and if I could sum it up in a word, it was his graciousness. He had a way of just assuming the best about everybody. Um, 
he was completely humble. And it was such an attractive quality. It was really Christ in him that made me want to be a better man. And it made me want to figure out, how did you get that way? Because he used to tell me when I was younger, I was not that way. <laughs> um, and his, kid is, his kids could attest to that as well. And so I, I began to, to try and emulate some of the things he did in his life. Like he had a really rich prayer life. Um, and, a, and a rich prayer life of praying with other people too. And I found that as I tried to copy him in those ways, that I began to grow as well as a follower of Jesus. Do you guys have a, anyone in your life who you kind of look up to or you kind of, you say, I want to be more like that person because they're like Jesus? Mom and dad. Yeah, totally. Emma, if it's not too embarrassing, what's one thing that you just love about your mom and dad that you would like to be more like? That they're always trying to stop me and John from fighting. Yeah. So, <laughs> so they're always trying blessed to... Blessed are the peacemakers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, good. Let's, let's hand it over to Ben. He's got one here. Um, my parents and some of my teachers. Yeah. Um... And I look up to my parents because they're um, generous and helpful and um, yeah. Yeah. I look up to my grandparents. Um, I look up to my dad's dad because he memorizes words. And he like knows the whole book, and he really believes in him and worships him. And I just think that's great. That's awesome. Thank you, Zoe. Yeah, Jonathan. I look up to my Awana leaders. Hmm. My leader, who's my mom, he always helps us in our races. That's awesome. Really good, really good. Yeah. You can tell your mom and dad how much you love them later. Yeah. <laughs> it's important for us to have those people in our lives, right? And to tell even stories. Like, it encourages me to hear those things. Um, and I bet you you notice some things in each other as you grow up together. And I know we, we, do, we notice things about each other. And it's important for us to remind each other. Like, hey, I saw this. Uh, I saw you do this, right? I, I appreciate this about you. Those are important and encouraging things to say. I remember uh, early on in the egg hunt, I think like Emma and Benjamin, that age group, I think you guys were like four or five. And the egg hunt was about over. And um, this family had traveled all the way from like North County on buses and had gotten turned around. And they showed up with little kids. And it was over. I mean, all the eggs were gone. And I did. There might have been more of you, but this is what I remember vividly, is that Benjamin, without being asked, took a bunch of your eggs, and you hid them in a bush, and you led those kids over, and you said, there's some eggs. And I remember how proud I was of you, and that really encouraged me, in a way, to be more generous as well. So there's even people, you know, just right here in our own peer group that reflect Jesus' goodness to us. It's important to tell those stories. 
Now, kids, some people in our congregation like to take notes and lists. So I'm, I'm going to list six things, six different ways that uh, would be helpful for us in storytelling. So this is for you, um, note takers. Number one, it's important for us to tell stories about times that God has been faithful. Um, Anne led our lead team in a devotional at our retreat this weekend and um, gave us the exercise of just taking, I think it was like a half an hour to recount the ways that God has been faithful to us. And that exercise never fails, um, never disappoints. Uh, just when you start to write down and recount the list of ways that God is good. It's important. So those are important stories to tell. We had a, a little opportunity for, uh, to share some of those ways. And it's neat to hear. We did it in our small group a little bit too. And, and I, I learn things every time about people in my group I've been journeying with for years new ways that God has been faithful. So that's one. Tell, uh, tell people stories about times that God's been faithful. The, another way is just to tell people about what's new in your journey with Jesus. Either how you're interacting with him lately, how's he, how he's interacting with you lately. Uh, sometimes I am encouraged to take on new challenges, to try new disciplines, because I hear what some of you are doing in your lives. And I've seen changes, and I think, that's a great idea. That's the little kick in the pants that I need without you telling me you need to do this. It's just, it's evident by your life. So tell each other stories about your journey with Jesus. Another really important one, I think, um, and I want to try and do a good job with this with you guys, too, because I don't know what you think when you see me. You know I'm weird and funny, but you might also think that I have it all together. Um, and I think it's important for us to tell stories of our struggles, and our doubts, and our fears. Uh, our doubts about God, our doubts about the Bible, our, our, our struggles with trying to obey the things that it says. I struggle with those things, and uh, my kids know that I do. Um, and we need to be honest and have a, have a safe place where we can share those stories, too. And you know what else is a really good one, and one that I'm not super good at, and that is sharing stories about our joy. One of the fruit of the Spirit is joy in the Holy Spirit. And uh, for whatever reason, like sometimes we're, we're ashamed to share about our joy because we don't want people to feel bad who aren't feeling joy. Um, we think somehow some in, in some warped way that we don't deserve the joy that we have. Let me tell you something. There's enough pain in the world. <laughs> and God has created um, our, our bodies for joy, food for joy, relationships for joy, creation. Have you seen the leaves? I mean, come on. Uh, there's so much joy to be had as well. Tell stories about the joy. Um, I had joy this, this Friday taking a walk with Corey and Samara on Whatcom Falls Trail and seeing beautiful wood ducks in uh, Scudder Pond. Scudder Pond, it's gross. What? But there's wood ducks. It gave me joy. Okay, so telling stories of joy. Number five, encouraging someone uh, with a positive story about them. Ben, I hope you're encouraged in remembering that thing about the Easter egg hunt. Um, because sometimes when people encourage me with positive stories about me, um, it makes me want to do that kind of thing again. It reinforces uh, the behavior. So if you see something that uh, someone in your, your family or in the church or in your community is doing well, it goes a long way to encourage them in what they're doing well. And sixth, maybe one of the most important ways uh, stories to share is sharing stories of ordinary life. Even in the church calendar, the longest season, the season we're in right now, is called Ordinary Time. It's about God showing up in our workplaces, in our school, in our sport, 
and our leisure. It's just the ordinary stuff of life. And um, so sharing those are super important. When God rescued the Israelites from Egypt, he gave them a special way to tell the story of his goodness and his faithfulness. He gave them a special ceremony to tell that story, uh, but not just to say it with words, but to act it out. Does anyone remember what the name of that practice is? It starts with a P. And he went over. Passover, that's right. What You guys participated in the Passover Seder last week when you were downstairs with Christy and Nathaniel. Uh, what were some of the things you learned from the Passover Seder? Mr. Ben, here you go. What the different foods meant, like the, um, that they were going through pain and a new life. Yeah, we're going to have her share that in a minute. Um, Good. And that uh, at, the, at the end um, that we had, we had a, like a cupcake that looked like a lamb to mm. represent the lamb of God. Awesome. So, Ben, you're 10 years old, right? And you've been, I've known you in church settings for the, your whole life since you were a little kid, since you were a baby. And... We've never, you and I, uh, any of us, have, we've never done a Passover, like we don't celebrate the Passover like um, in church on a regular, how come Christians don't celebrate the Passover on a regular basis? Let's have Emma share. Maybe because we don't need to do it anymore because God is the lamb and he already died for us so we don't need it anymore brilliant yes in fact elsa ackerson has um a plate here that i think there's a graphic that's going to come up too to show what that looks like oh there it is yep that's exact so that's exactly what elsa has in her hand and elsa i'd love it if you could <laughs> explain a little bit about what is on this plate and everyone's looking at that one so you could just tell yeah. um so the Passover Seder celebration is a way to remember the time that the Israelites spent in slavery in Egypt and God's faithfulness to them. On the Seder plate, there would be celery to dip in salt water. The salt water, like tears, represents the sadness of slavery. The celery is bitter and represents the bitterness of years and years as slaves. There is also an apple salad called haroset, which represents mortar from the bricks that the slaves made. Parsley is a symbol of hope and renewal. It represents God's promise to his people. Matzah, or the bread of affliction, reminds us of the bread eaten in a hurry on the Israelites last night in Egypt. There is also a bone, which is for the Passover lamb, sacrificed in their place. The last thing on the plate is an egg, representing new life, because God gave the Israelites new life by freeing them from slavery. Awesome. Thank you, Elsa. Elsa, just as you're thinking about those things, is there a way that, uh, as Christians, that these things relate to us? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very good. And I think, and Emma, you mentioned the Passover lamb, too, and Jesus being that Passover lamb. I mean, one of the things I love about this, um, 
celebration that God has given the people is that it's not just a bunch of words. It's acting it out. It's uh, um, the story with a lot of objects and symbols and different reasons we do things. And um, today, as, as Christians, we don't celebrate Passover anymore, but we do a lot of things. We have a whole calendar that reminds us of the story of Jesus. So, for example, on the 29th of this month, we start a new year in the Christian calendar, and it's called Advent. And Advent prepares us, right, um, to celebrate the coming of Jesus. And we have different colors, so we'll have an Advent uh, candelabra with different candles that represent more light coming into the world. And we'll have dark purple representing um, uh, our longing and the, the fact that the world is not put right yet, but we're waiting for Jesus to come and and then after Advent, that all leads up to Christmas. And the Christmas season is 12 days of feasting and fun and celebrating the fact that God himself became flesh and dwelt among us in the person of Jesus. We have Epiphany, which is after the 12 days of Christmas. And um, it reminds us of the Gentile magi coming to worship Jesus. And many of us, as I mentioned before, are Gentiles. And so we, we remember that God reveals himself to us as well. We have the season of Lent, where we prepare our hearts to celebrate uh, the resurrection of Jesus. During Lent, we remember that Jesus died for us um, to forgive us for our sin. And then we have the celebration of Easter, Woo! celebrating the resurrection of Jesus for 50 days. Tell your parents you just eat candy like every week during Easter, yeah. Or at least be feasting and partying for 50 days and a lot of white stuff. I mean, it's great. Okay, and then Pentecost, 50 days after Easter, is the time we remember that the Holy Spirit uh, came and filled the apostles and now fills everyone who's been baptized in Christ. And then after Pentecost, you know what it is? Ordinary time. It is the longest season. We're in it right now, people. It's the going to school and coming home and getting snack and doing homework and all throughout the ordinary time. God is good and faithful, and the color is green, and it, it reminds us that God is growing things behind the scenes, and he's growing you, and he's growing me, and he's ever working in us. The seasons help us tell the story of Jesus, but so does Sunday worship. We meet every week, and we tell the story through songs, and we tell the story as what I'm doing right now, and we tell the story through reading the scriptures like David did, and didn't he look like a boss in that suit? Yes, and we tell the story through prayer, and we tell the story through the communion table. Communion table, what's on that? Samantha. Bread and wine? Yep. Wait, wait, wait. Bread and wine, that's just like the Passover Seder. Uh, there's no lamb bone or anything. Why isn't there any lamb bone on there? Yep. Jesus is the Lamb of God. That's one of these active participation pieces that reminds us of the story. Uh, Father, thank you so much for being the author of this great story, um, for rescuing the, uh, the Israelites from Egypt and for rescuing us through your son, Jesus. And we pray, Lord, as we come before you, um, seeking prayer, seeking healing for many different things, uh, that you would rescue us from bondage, that you would rescue us uh, from those dark places as well. Amen.